0: Like father, like son. Despite a glorious beginning like his father David, we're going to see the next king fall like his father as well. Thanks for joining us on the Bible Brief. We left off our last episode expressing David's confidence in God's willingness and power to forgive David of his sins. Those sins involving coveting, adultery, and murder. And God indeed maintained his relationship with David and continued to bless his rule. However, forgiveness does not mean removal of consequences. Remember, God still cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, even though he'd provided a covering for them. God's love and provision does not mean the removal of consequences. So God continues to bless David's rule with more victories, but not in the same way as before. One consequence of David's sin is that there's lots more rebellion in the ranks of Israel, including from David's own house. Even one of his sons tries to usurp his father's rule for a time. These seeds of rebellion that David had put down at the beginning of his rule were continuing to kindle in the kingdom of Israel. David's sin essentially put fuel on the kindling. However, there would be more peace before there was more civil war. David's son Solomon would soon assume the throne in the place of his father David, and God loved Solomon. Where we characterize David as one who had faith and confidence in God... Solomon would be characterized by the wise way that he led the nation of Israel. In fact, we read in 1 Kings chapter 3 that Solomon asked from God for "...an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil." And God granted Solomon's request. So much so that we read later, "...God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore." So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all other men, and his fame was in the surrounding nations. Solomon's rule over Israel demonstrates his wisdom, and the nation of Israel increases in power. And soon other nations pour wealth into Israel, seeking the favor and wisdom of their king Solomon and their god Yahweh. One example of this is the king of Tyre, to the north of Israel's territory. The king's name is Hiram. Hiram had a previous diplomatic relationship with David, and he loved David. And this continued when Solomon reached out to Hiram for help on a consequential construction project. Solomon was going to build the house for God that David had wanted to build, and he wanted Hiram's help and support. And we read, As soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message that you have sent me, and I am ready to do all that you desire in the matter of cedar and cypress timber. Here's the quick item to note here before we move on. God was using a Gentile nation to provide most of the materials to build his house in Israel for Israel's worship. And even in this communication from Hiram, he himself says, Blessed be the Lord, Yahweh, this day. This is another example of a Gentile non-Israelite who apparently believed in the one true God. Remember, the Bible story is focused on the nation of Israel for now, but we're getting taste after taste of what's to come. When the promised seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, and now seed of David, comes, there's going to be a significant shift. As we noted in the Abrahamic covenant, this seed is going to bless all the nations of the world. So, the temple is built over a period of seven years, and by today's standards, it wasn't a magnificently large building. It was about 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 40 feet tall. You can think of a basketball court as a rough approximation. Just think of the height as about four times higher than each basketball hoop. But the importance of the temple is not and never was in its size. It's in its significance. This would be the place where God dwelt among his people. The place where he would make his presence dwell on the earth. Okay. So, the seven-year building project of the great temple of God begins in the city of Jerusalem, and the location is something we should pay attention to. This temple will be built on Mount Moriah, in the same region where Abraham had bound Isaac and nearly killed him in sacrifice before God provided a substitute. This location is the prime example of substitution. This temple would house sacrifices of animals by the thousands, and in the same way that Abraham sacrificed the ram that God had provided, in the place of the people of Israel, animals would be slain. God wouldn't have his people miss the seriousness of sin and the need for a permanent and lasting substitute, an atonement that would cover sins permanently, and not just until the sinner sinned again. The sacrificial system in the law given by God to the nation was a teacher, teaching them of their need for something more, and the temple was the center of this lesson. Now I want to explain a little bit about the temple that you should dwell on. It was not an austere, artless, colorless place. It was vibrant. It was made of cedar, often overlaid with gold, with artistic carvings of fruit, flowers, palm trees, and angels that were also overlaid with gold. There was beautiful latticework, pillars, candlesticks, and many other accessory items. This was a place meant to be not only holy, but beautiful. Like, well, like the Garden of Eden. In fact, many of the elements described in the construction of the temple deliberately call back to descriptions of the garden itself. The work of the priests in the temple is even described in similar Hebrew terms as Adam and Eve's work in the garden. This temple communicated something profound. The way back to the garden was God, and God was the center of the garden. Just as God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, his presence was here in the representative garden. Just as Adam and Eve enjoyed fellowship with God, so too the priests represented new fellowship that could be had with God. The temple wasn't just a place of worship, though it certainly was that. It was also a picture, a picture of what was lost long ago. And a picture of hope that god by only his power might make a new garden just like the old full of beauty and fellowship with god okay after seven years this beautiful temple is completed and we see solomon dedicate the temple to the lord along with god's response to the dedication let's read an excerpt from first kings chapter eight this is solomon's dedication O god god of israel There is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel." If only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. And then later we see God's response. As soon as Solomon had finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord fill the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. That same fire that came upon Mount Sinai over 400 years before came down and consumed the sacrifices that had been given, and God's glory filled the temple, and the people gave thanks to God. The tabernacle was no longer used. Instead, the temple was now the center of worship for the people of Israel, the temple in Jerusalem. Before we move on, though, I want to highlight two things that are present in Solomon's prayer for dedication of the temple. First is that he knows that God can't be contained by a temple, that God is merely using the temple as a representative place. This is important because, as we've noted before, God isn't physical in such a way that he could be confined to physical space. God is spirit. And yet, God mercifully demonstrates his spiritual presence in a physical way there at the temple. That's observation one. Observation two is this. Solomon knows that he has in some way fulfilled some of the Davidic covenant where God had said that a descendant of David would build a house for God. And yet Solomon also knows that the one established as the everlasting ruler over the kingdom will only be established if they walk obediently before God. Solomon earnestly desires this for himself. He thinks that he could be the one who fulfills God's covenant with David. However, we soon see, and there are more clues up to this point that we had to skip over, we soon see that Solomon could not be the fulfillment of this covenant with David. He did what he could to try to fulfill it by building the temple, but he didn't walk obediently with God in all his ways. The corruption of sin reared its ugly head in his life. And for Solomon, this mainly had to do with women. Now, God's law, anticipating that the people of Israel would demand a king, had some laws for the kings to follow as well. One of these rules was that the king shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Well, Solomon not only gathered many wives, but he also intermarried with other people outside of Israel. Listen to this from 1 Kings 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had seven hundred wives who were princesses and three hundred concubines and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after the Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord, as his father David had done. Then Solomon built a high place for the Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on a mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives, who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. Despite the gift of wisdom from God, despite the glory of God filling the temple and the fire from heaven, Solomon fell in the same way that a lot of men fall. He fell for a woman. Well, lots of women in clear violation of God's commands concerning the king. As David fell in just a few pages, so Solomon fell in just a few pages, and the consequences would be severe. It says this, And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Trouble was brewing in the kingdom, rebellion was simmering, and God was using it as a judgment on the sins of the kings. On our next narrative episode we'll see the simmering come to a full boil we're going to see the kingdom of israel split in two but before that we're going to answer an important question where is jesus in the story so far don't miss our next episode of the bible brief do you have a question about the bible it could be featured on a future show You can submit a question by going to our website, BibleLiteracyFoundation.com, and clicking on the podcast page. There you can submit a text or audio question. We'd love to hear from you. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.